Morning Insights at Work podcast family. It's 0600. Time to rise and shine, Private Sophie. I'm tired. Why do we have to get up so early? Well, that's classified, honey. But I've been running all week. Can we just skip it? Well, Private, if you want to succeed in life, you need discipline. Let's get some oatmeal into you stat. Mom's got breakfast ready to roll. Then some quick PT before the school bus arrives. Uh, Roger that, Daddy. Hi, Pooks. Why are you up so early? It's Saturday. Daddy! Today, we're talking about leadership with a retired Navy SEAL commander. This is the Insights at Work podcast. Cover me, Mommy. I'm going in. Let's dive in. There's some amazing professional development programs out there that focus on building a high-performing team. Some of them virtual, some in person, usually held in a conference room, complete with complimentary pens, flip charts, and of course, those little mints. Could it get any better than that? Well, I think it could. So, for today's podcast, we found the team that delivers a very unique program where deep in the Mexican peninsula, management teams will spend half their time learning leadership principles and half their time applying them as they work together to solve a real problem in the local community. And all while under the careful guidance of a retired Navy SEAL commander. I'm Jeff Livingston, and this is Insights at Work, the HR podcast that looks at what's happening in the HR world takes your questions and studies of the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. In today's podcast, we'll be chatting with Deb Lawson, Chief Experience Officer and co-founder of Leaders to Inspire. And we'll be talking with Rich Diveny, best-selling author, human performance expert, and a retired Navy SEAL commander with more than 13 overseas deployments and 20 years of military experience. Deb, Rich, welcome to the Insights at Work podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Great to be here. So today we have a truly international flavor, like an HR leader summit. Deb, you're calling in from Canada. Rich, you're calling in from Virginia. Before we get started today, why don't you both just share a little bit about yourselves? Okay, so as uh, you mentioned, Jeff, I'm Deb Lawson, and I serve Leaders to Inspire as the Chief Experience Officer. And after spending the better part of three decades in a professional capacity in the human capital management industry. And with that, Rich is a partner with Leaders to Inspire, and he's a big part of our Projects for Purpose retreat because he knows a few things about uh, high-performing teams. I do. Uh, and I don't know what else to say, Jeff, after the wonderful intro there, because we think this is a great um, opportunity to not only help folks uh, figure out some tools, tips and tricks on how to perform better, but also to uh, give back and serve the community as well. Well, Rich, I'm a huge fan of tips and tricks and being able to apply what we talk about on today's podcast in the workplace. Now, before we get into the logistics of the projects for Purpose Retreat, I wanted to touch on the importance that employees are now placing on purpose, specifically how they want to see their own values aligned with the values of their employer. In the fall, ADP conducted a survey, and you might have seen it in the media, 
The findings were a bit surprising to me, but very revealing when we consider what we've gone through over the past two years. For the first time ever, salary and benefits were replaced by work-life balance as the number one motivator for Canadian employees contemplating or looking for a new role. And this same survey found that Canadian workers are also increasing the weight they place in the importance of having their employer share their same values. Deb, you've coined this term called corporate social transformation. And given those stats I just said, can you fill the listeners in on what corporate social transformation is and if you think it's more relevant now than ever. Oh yeah, I, I totally see it more relevant than ever and kudos for you in 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 launching a survey and getting this kind of feedback and doing some uh, fantastic work with it. Corporate social transformation is something Leaders to Inspire has coined. It's taking the concept of hashtag social impact and giving it structure, giving it a process and make it making it measurable. It's a way of operating so that your organization's social responsibility initiatives, brand and talent strategies are all aligned to your mission. And to your point, it is more important than ever for HR leaders and people people leaders um, to to have a social impact in the work that they do. Okay, Rich, now that we've got a better handle on what corporate social transformation is, that being a more complete and interwoven nature of corporate social responsibility across the organization, why is it so important and relevant to what management teams and employees want today? As I think about organizations holistically what is that what is that one thing that every single organization has it's that one kind of key thing that everyone has oh yeah it's people um you can't have an organization without people and i think we're in a we're in an environment we're in a generation that have, has recognized the fact thankfully that life balance is important that uh, uh satisfaction comes from not only making a lot of money but also comes from being able to experience and enjoy life um, and work in a place that you enjoy. You don't want to just have your home time enjoyable because, oh, by the way, if you don't enjoy work, then part of your home time is unenjoyable as well because you're recovering from not enjoying work, right? So, so I think our, our I think the new generation has really uh, embraced this and um, and is demanding it. And I think that's a healthy thing. And I think uh, organizations need to respond, and many are, uh, to the new environment. I think it's it's only good. Well, and on that note, Rich, I mean, corporations really are at the forefront of making a difference in the lives of their employees, their community. Are we facing the age-old question here of whether or not businesses should be putting their people before profit? I think one of the things organizations have to recognize is they can't uh, separate people and profit. They're not, they're not mutually exclusive, okay? I mean, to take care of our people, we need to generate profit because we need to pay them at a good salary and wages and have them have financial security. So... So uh, I think the mistake sometimes people make is that one, it's one or the other, and it's actually both that have to work harmoniously with each other. Absolutely. Rich, you bring a lot of your training and your approach to leadership development from the Navy SEALs into this program, and you've got a pretty unique viewpoint on leadership itself. How do you apply what you learned developing leaders in the military to your leadership training with Leaders to Inspire? Um, leadership is not something that can be, uh, you can't, you can't designate yourself a leader. You're not allowed, you can be in charge. Okay. You can say I'm in charge, 
you can't designate yourself as a leader. That'd be called like it'd be like calling yourself good looking or funny. Okay, other people decide whether or not you are someone they want to follow. You can be in charge. You can be in charge all day long. You can leave it. You can leave a. a uh, a third grader in charge of the classroom while the teacher runs to the principal's office. Okay. That doesn't mean that's a leader. Okay. So leadership comes from behaviors. Inspiration comes from behaviors. And finally, one of the primary aspects of leadership is trust building. Okay. Well, guess what? You can't make anybody trust you. All you can do is behave in a way that allows them to make a decision to trust you. So all of this comes down to behaviors. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to help people understand these behaviors, give them some, give them some tools and techniques to kind of see that in themselves and practice it and experience it. And then they're gonna go out into the community and behave that way to help the community. So one of the things we'll, we'll talk about down in Mexico is this idea that the, the, the upside down pyramid really is not the best model for the best kind of leadership. Um, we have to develop an environment where we can lead and follow whenever is necessary. And as a leader or as the person in charge who wants to be a leader, who endeavors, inspires to be or, or desires to be a leader, needs to behave in a way that helps and empowers their people um, to do their best. And I used to tell my junior officers, I said, hey, to do this job right, you have to accept what I call the irony of leadership. And that is if you do your job right, you eventually work yourself out of a job because you create a team, you create a, a, a group of people who can operate without you. Um, and you should be excited about that, by the way. You should be like, oh, my gosh, this mm -hmm. team is going to outrun me and I will be left in the dust. And that's exciting because I'll just go find something else to do. But that's what I've done here. That's what I've been able to create. That's really the, the truest form of leadership. Rich, that counterintuitive notion of wanting to see your reports leave you in the dust is a great analogy. I spent time in the not-for-profit world, and I'd always tell our donors and our board members that I was there to solve a challenge and then put myself out of a job. Rich, what are the signs in the organization that a leader should be looking for that tells them, hey, you're doing a good job? Honestly, it's um, I think it's it's the ability to understand and see your team starting to do things without your help. You're doing you're actually doing less and less. The 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 the, the machine is running away from you, but in a obviously in a controlled response responsible way, but they are solving problems. They're making things happen. They're innovating. They're operating and you're starting to see them. It's kind of like you're pushing that ball up the hill, right? And then you you go over that that apex that you don't really see because the ball's in front of you. And then the, th the ball starts slowly rolling away from you, right? That means you've, 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 you've been doing a good job. Um, and the other way is that people come and tell you so. They say things like, hey, I loved and I love being um, in your span of care. I love I love having you in the leadership position. That's also an indicator. But if you get none of that, if the team is running away from you and it's doing so because you've helped create this environment where it just empower people, that's a key. Now, Deb, in addition to having Rich on the team, what really drew me to your story is where you conduct the training. I mean, when I look out the window and see all of this snow, it makes me want to head down south. And we're doing it in a beautiful place called Mexico in the Baja, South California, sir, along the, the coast of Cabo. It's a developing community. So that's another element of our program. And one of the ways that we actually give back is combining the curriculum learning from the two workshops that that rich talked about optimal performance and high performance teams and bolting on a cultural experience and and an experiential learning opportunity of bringing potentially strangers or teams of people in a, in a company together for a common purpose that improves lives and leaves with impact 
you know, they're going to learn things like problem solving, improved communication, critical thinking, which is a top recruiting trend for 2022, beyond teamwork, finding a common purpose. Um, one of the hallmarks of our experience is that we visit a local children's home and spend time with the kids there. And we observe a problem that they face and we come together with all of our learning and curriculum pieces from our program and apply them to come together and solve that problem. Uh, to, to see it firsthand when people improve the lives of others, they really feel a purpose and can live a more fulfilling life. And that's the experience we want to give people. It's a five-day, all-encompassing, life-changing uh, experience. And so if you are an HR professional and you're putting together a the business plan, the business yeah. case, you're taking yeah. it to your CEO and you're saying, you know what? You and the management team really should be doing this. Mm -hmm. What do you tell them? Yeah, well, we have an ROI model um, that we can work with HR leaders to help them make the business case. Usually it's budget that comes out of L&D dollars. So learning and development dollars, there's travel budget, there's leadership development. If, if many of these budgets are siloed within organizations, if you're looking to really drive social impact and even corporate social responsibility dollars, when you look at all of these individual silos, it's it's that's corporate social transformation is is bringing them all together and using it as a means to invest in their people that has a huge payback. And so we have some statistical models and an ROI exercise that, that we would work if if a customer was really serious, an HR leader wanted to send a team of people uh, and needed to make the financial business case, we we would work with them and make that possible. Now, Rich, for those of us who might not be making it down to the Baja Peninsula, what's one of your favorite leadership exercises that you enjoy taking the team through? One of the most direct questions we can ask of ourselves and others is, what do great leaders do? And so we've asked this question in the work I've done with uh, Simon Sinek's organization and, and Bob Chapman's organization at Barry Wimler. We've gone around the country, around the world with groups and asked this question, what do great leaders do? And what usually we have a whiteboard next to us and we just write down the words that people come up with. Um, and you usually get a list of 20, 30 things. The list is always the same things. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, doesn't matter what generation you're in front of, they're always the same things. Um, which means we all know intuitively what great leadership looks and feels like, we know it. Um, the other thing uh, is that uh, the, the attributes that I, I talk about in the book, the leadership attributes, which are empathy, selflessness, decisiveness, accountability, and authenticity, um, those are always at the top of the list, always, right? So, uh, so again, these are the uh, attributes, the behaviors that cause others to say, this is someone I want to follow. And again, it has nothing to do with being in charge. All of us can think of, in fact, if we try for a moment, we can all think of someone we've experienced who's been in charge, okay, who we wouldn't follow out the back mm -hmm. door, let alone anywhere else, right? Meanwhile, there's someone standing over by the wa water cooler who has no hierarchical position whatsoever, and we'd follow that person to hell and back, right? It's because that person behaves in a way that causes us to say, that is someone I would follow. Yes, Rich, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I'd like to think that because of this pandemic, we're all just a little more aware of that empathy attribute. How important is empathy when comparing it to the so many other necessary attributes that a leader must possess? Well, yes. However, just like any 
thing, <laughs> too much of anything is a bad thing, right? A leader has to be what's what, what I call on an empathy dimmer switch, okay? Because if you're too empathetic as a leader, what that's going to mean is you're going to probably focus in on, a, on a, a person or small group and feel what they feel, but it'll be at the detriment of what other people feel, right? And so, uh, and sometimes the leader has to step back and say, hey, I need to do what's best for everybody, which means I have to put away, I, I have to say, I don't necessarily, I can't be concerned about how everybody feels about this. I have to, so, so it's, that, it's that ability to move that dimmer switch in very tactical, precise ways that allow you to be empathetic when you need to be, and then be pulled back and, and make some decisions at the 50,000 foot level. So, um, so it is important. I think it's always been important because again, you say it has become more important. I would say every great leader in history that we can ever think of, or even think of on our heads, has always been a good at the empathy dimmer switch, right? So it's always been there. I think uh, people might be demanding it a little bit more, but um, I think it has to be in balance with everything else. Rich, you wrote the book, The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers of Optimal Performance. It's a great read, and it looks at how beneath the skills we might have to perform a task, skills that everyone can clearly see, there are hidden drivers of performance, and you call them attributes. Can you explain how these attributes help us perform as an individual and as part of a team? Um, and so the attributes is really a, a, a book about the concepts, many of the concepts that I discovered while running a very specialized selection and assessment course in the Navy SEALs, um, where we were really trying to figure out how to articulate why and how people were succeeding and why and how other people were failing. Um, and ultimately, what it allowed me to do is explore performance a lot more uh, deeply. Um, performance is often looked at as a very visible kind of surface level stuff, and that's the skills, right? The stuff we see, uh, but it's more than that. And so the idea is that skills are things that are, they're not inherent to our nature. Uh, you can't, you're not as born with the ability to throw a ball or ride a bike or drive a car. Um, skills direct our behavior. Uh, in known situations, here's how and when to do those things. And then skills, because they're visible, they're highly, they're 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 very easy to assess, measure, and test. You can see how well people could throw a ball or ride a bike or drive a car. The problem with skills is that, uh, and because you can see them, that's why they're so focused. We get seduced by these things when we're putting together teams and hiring people, because um, you can put them on resumes and they could be stat sheets and score sheets around them. But what skills don't tell us is how we're going to show up in stress, challenge, and uncertainty when the environment becomes unknown. It's very difficult to apply a known skill, right? So, uh, so this is when we lean on our attributes, which are more innate. Okay, none of us are, are. We're all born with levels of situational awareness, adaptability, resilience. Um, we can certainly develop those over time and experience, but we can see levels of this stuff in small children, so we know we're born with them. There's nature and nurture involved. Um, attributes inform rather than direct behavior, so they tell us how we're going to show up. So, for example, my son's levels of resilience and perseverance inform the way he showed up when he was learning to ride a bike and he was falling off a dozen times doing so. Um, so they tell us how we're gonna show up. And then because they're hidden in the background, they're very difficult to see and therefore difficult to assess and measure. You can't sit across the table in an interview process and see how resilient someone is or how patient they are or how adaptable, right? So, so it's times of stress and challenge that these things bubble to the surface because skills get put aside. And, and the reason why it was so great for me, because the laboratory I had in which to explore this stuff was the, was the Navy SEAL laboratory. Everything about Navy SEALs is about throwing people into stress, challenge, and uncertainty. But it translates to business. It translates to life, really, in terms of how we perform, how we show up. And to understand how we show up helps us understand why and how we perform the way we do. 
Rich, I love that term. It's how you show up. That only when you're put in the situation, whether during training or combat or completing a project, that's when you're really going to see if someone's going to perform, if they'll keep trying and trying until they succeed. So let me ask you this. When you're standing in front of the latest Navy SEAL recruits, could you tell just by looking at them or asking a few questions on day one, which ones were going to succeed? No, absolutely not. Uh, because it's a it's a cumulative process and, and attributes get assessed usually best over time and experience. Um, so uh, so and, and, and also um, intensity expresses those things. Right. So there, there's there's parts of Hell Week that are or there are parts of SEAL training that are way more intense than other parts. Like Hell Week is an example of very intense week of, of SEAL training. Which is where you get, by the way, most people dropping out and most people quitting. Um, but this is the key about attributes: is that you can't. You it takes in this experimental and experiential environment. It takes some some diligence, some watching, some maneuvering, and see how people show up. Uh, because it's easy. You know, it's funny when I was um, doing this, putting this together, this training. I uh, was I, I met with um, a friend of mine who worked for one of the agencies, and he was in charge of helping people develop. Um, alternate personalities, you know, for obvious reasons, right? Um, so you're going to be another person, spooky stuff. And, um, and he said, Rich, this is really interesting because uh, whenever we help someone develop a new personality or a new, a new identity, I guess, um, we always make it, uh, we try to make it as congruent as possible with who they are because he said, we found that the, even the best actors, trained actors in the world can't fake being another person for more than, say, 30 days, right? Most people can't fake it for, for more than two days. And all of us, most of us can't even do it for more than, you know, maybe a day or eight hours. All of us can do it for a 15 minute interview or a 30 minute interview, right? You can you can pretend to be whoever you want to be for these short periods of times, which means when you are really, when you really want to look into a human and how they perform, you need to do it in a way that either gives enough time. So you see people in different contexts or puts enough intensity into the environment so you can have a you can shorten the time but the experience is more intense and so so this is where we start to see people show up and start to suss out how we how we actually fall into the into the attribute categories now rich as a hard-hitting hr podcaster and big movie buff i'd be doing all my fellow podcasters a disservice if i didn't ask this next question rich how accurately portrayed are navy seals in the movies <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends on what your which movie or show you're watching. I, I, the easy answer is no, it's not accurate. Um, we have to understand what Hollywood is and what movies are. I mean, that's an attempt to give you a story in a hour or two hour time frame, which means they are going to pick and choose the highlights and the lowlights of every situation and put that on screen, right? Um, and so it's always going to be somewhat inaccurate. However, I will say, you know, some of the most famous seals out there, you know, there's the Jockos and the David Goggins, both great guys. They, they do great work, but they're not necessarily what most Navy SEALs look like. Uh, most Navy SEALs, I always say the most dangerous Navy SEAL you'll ever meet is the one you never knew you met. They don't look like anything. I mean, it's just they don't look the part. They were, were ghosts for the most part. Right. Um, and um, and that's how most of the seals are, uh, and uh, we just understand when to perform and what we need to do, and we're we're just really precise and direct about what we do. But that's the idea. We're hanging around with Navy SEALs all the time at the ADP offices. <laughs> you might, yeah, you might have been, might be. <laughs> so, so they're not like the typical one is not like Jesse Ventura. Oh no 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 no! Yeah, yeah the thing is, understand. I mean, you know, to be that that's muscular funny. is actually a disadvantage. When you have to climb up the sides of ships 
and in the middle of the ocean with the seas at 10 feet, you don't want to be overly heavy. You can't be overly weak, but you have to be optimal. When you're when you're running around the mountains of Afghanistan, 10,000 foot, 10,000 feet, the muscle bound guys were the ones who dropped out first. It's like, hey, stop lifting weights, start going for some runs. But you also can't be a skinny, you know, a skinny just just a skinny runner either. You have to there has to be some some balance there. So what you're saying, Rich, is that I've got a shot. We all have a shot, my friends. It depends on uh, it depends on your age, though. There is an age limit, so. Uh... <laughs> so I'm nearing uh, fifty. That's not. Uh, yeah, I'm afraid I'm... your shot's gone, just like yeah. mine is. You know, I, I couldn't go back either. You know, our you, bodies you would might, collapse pretty fast. You might have a sh you might have a shot in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, maybe I could play Rich in his autobiography. Actually, I think with this face for podcasts. I'd probably have a better shot with the Navy yeah, SEALs. That's true. That's funny. <laughs> Rich, is there anything impactful that we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about today? Oh, Jeff, so much. No, I'm just kidding. I'll just I'll say one thing. Um, this I, this experience that we're talking about, that Dev and I are talking about, um, this uh, what we're trying to create here is a is a maximum learning environment. All right, learning is maximized when you can add uh, knowledge with uh, experience and activity, and those types of intensity, focus, and novelty. Are, are what actually forges these neural networks together neurologically um, in a very meaningful way. So, so doing this in a, in a wonderful environment with meaning, with purpose, with experience of surrounding it is really uh, one of the best ways to learn and internalize this stuff. So that's what we're excited about. Well, we're all about maximizing learning on the Insights at Work podcast. Great. <laughs> Deb? How can people get a hold of you? Well, you can visit uh, our website at leaders2, the number two sign, inspire.com, or email me, deb, at leaders2inspire.com. Rich, how can people get a hold of you? Well, yeah, best way is theattributes.com. There's everything there. You can get the book. You can do the free assessment tool. There's also a, a tab there that you can get to the Leaders to Inspire website, theattributes.com, and all the social media handles are there too. So Fantastic. Well, we always wrap up the podcast with a list of our guests favorite or first thing. So Deb, I'll start with you. Deb, what's the first car you owned? Oh my, a Ford Pinto, green. A definite classic, Deb. And Rich, first job you had? A bagger at a grocery store. What was the grocery store called? Uh, one in, in Connecticut called Stu Leonard's. I was just six, I mean, 16. I, I wanted to work as soon as I could. I just wanted to get out there and start earning money, so. Deb, the first concert that you ever attended? Oh, Elton John. Deb, what's your favorite piece of advice that you give to a young professional just starting out? Oh, Jeff, what a great question. And uh, without a doubt, I would like to suggest that every young person have and get a mentor, you know, someone that's a trusted ally that can be a source of encouragement, um, make connections for, for you, and you know be that source of knowledge and experience uh having had one myself it's important for building confidence getting feedback and ultimately achieving your goals so i would strongly encourage have a mentor rich what's your favorite piece of advice that you give to a young professional just starting out uh i would say ask for help awesome well it has been just such a pleasure like i always say I always feel like I get the most from these podcasts because I'm always learning something. I've taken pages of notes. Deb, thanks so much for coming on the Insights at Work podcast. Rich, thanks so much for coming on the Insights at Work podcast. Oh, thank you, Jeff. What an opportunity. 
for me to talk about something I'm very passionate about. Great conversation. Yeah. Thanks. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Jeff. It's yeah. a real pleasure. And with that, it looks like we've run out of racetrack. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit from it as well. If you find the Insights at Work podcast worthy, please go on to iTunes and give us a cool rating with a nice review. We certainly appreciate it. And if there's something that you would like me to discuss around this big world of HR and all things business, give me a shout. You know how to reach me on social media or through LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay healthy and be kind. We'll see you soon on the next episode of the Insights at Work podcast.